0: Okay, hey, so firstly I want to talk to um, pride this morning. Uh, This is something that lurks inside all of us. And it's easier if I talk about it inside me. I know that. Because pride's really, really easy to see in other people. Right? It's very, very easy to see in other people. Um, But the truth is all of us have a little bit of it lurking in us. And um, it robs us. It steals from us. It takes us uh, away from the joyful, fruitful life that God has for us. And it keeps me from God. It keeps you from God. And so far, Galatians has looked at um, the fact that people have tried to live their lives two ways, either religiously or flipping off that right over into rebellion. And so uh, religion or rebellion. Religion sets up up a ladder to try and get to to God or godliness. Uh, And when we get there, again, we get there by pride. And when we're there, we are boastful. And Galatians, Paul's particularly cross uh, with a group of people um, who are trying to set up part of the religious ladder to get to God, is um, trying to encourage them of all things to uh, become circumcised, to become part of the nation of Israel um, via that. Um, which is, uh, and circumcision is not only like it's inconvenient, isn't it? It's the worst... <laughs> Uh, But again, he'll go on to say in this chapter that they're doing that just straight up out of pride. Uh, It makes Paul wild because religion's not freedom. Religion is a heavy, um, uh, oppressive, nasty thing. And it's showy and it's trying to impress people rather than leading them to freedom. Paul's also said that people's other instinct is to rebel from God um, and to live in independence from him. To live in freedom from God. And perhaps this has been your tendency um, to live a wild life where you break all the rules and you live a life of selfishness. But Paul again says that leads to, um, the, that leads to slavery. And there's so many things that we can think to that, that while they're good things, when we make them God things, they become bad things. The, the good blessing of well, many things can become addictions. And so that can be um, slavery. And so both of them, Paul's saying freedom is in Christ. All right, so um, that's Paul's case so far. And we've just had chapter 5, which is just the beautiful chapter of um, freedom, uh, which is just amazing. And so um, that's where Paul has talked about the life and the Spirit. And so largely the message of Galatians 6 is this. Once we've attained freedom, once we've seen all the beautiful blessings that we get in Jesus, what do we do with that freedom? How do we use that freedom? And that's a great question to ask. And so um, I've been chewing on this for the last uh, few weeks, and Galatians 6 has been chewing on me. Derek Prince used to say this whenever you read the Bible, the Bible's reading you. Um, But it's more been like when I've been reading this chapter this week, it's been punching me in the face. Um, And so, yeah. And so while I can't really go much, there's big family issues going on for me at the moment. And I don't know about you with family, but it's quite easy to just take the gloves off, wrap the tape around them, put resin or glue, and then dip it in the broken glass and go all out, fight to the death. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and so, um, (laughs) yeah. No, not on cast. Anyway, don't keep calling them out either because you'll work it out soon. Anyway, um, so for me, uh, I have really been dealt to by these words. Um, so anyway, Sam's talked last week, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the spirit, and then it moves to Galatians 5.24. So can we go to our next slide? So I think I give a wee indication of what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, this is pride. Um <laughs> And interestingly, I found this cool fact that over 2011 to 2017, I think there was like 51 people died of shark attacks in the world. And like 259 people died taking selfies. So, (laughs) pride is an issue in our society. There we go. Anyway, moving on. Circulations 524 to 26... We've got the words there. Cool. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. And so, again, these beautiful words from Paul uh, that just are such an inspiration to me. And maybe more and more as I, as I grow older, we've crucified the flesh. Paul's boast is again, in being uh, crucified with Christ. And we're going to talk more about that concept lately, uh, later. Um, when we think of a life in the Spirit um, and long for times of renewing and, and the Holy Spirit in general, some of us think of like shout to the Lord and falling over and like this just wild kick party of grace. And I find it staggering that the best example of a life in the Spirit is Jesus Christ himself. The greatest example of the fruit of the Spirit is in Jesus Christ himself. And the finest act of the Spirit is when Christ gives his own life so we might have full life in him. So the life of the Spirit leads to death to ourselves and leads leads to being alive in him. So verse 26 says, Let's not become conceited or proud, provoking and envying each other. And these are such wise words because pride does two things. We want to provoke other people because we think we're better than them And if we think they're better than us, we envy them. Both are nasty. Both do nasty things in our hearts. When I became a Christian, I was like honestly so filled with the grace of God and the freedom of God. I loved it. But pretty soon, uh, I found myself turning to pride as I looked around my youth group and saw that I was fervently praying and some of my friends weren't. And there became a quick Galatians-type division in our youth group where some of our friends would uh, want to pray for the lost while others would want to go bowling. Come bowling with us, they'd say, and we'd say, no, 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 you go, we're going to pray for the lost. We're going to be fasting, but you go. Hope you get a strike. And there was a a sense in our hearts, and we discovered this and we repented of this, that we thought of ourselves, I suppose, as the spiritual A team. uh, And there were B teamers that were out there temp and bowling. Anyway, um, and so uh, pride provokes, it picks on others, makes others feel bad. Um, and so just the uh, other day I was speaking with someone on the phone and I was so frustrated with them. And if I'm honest, I felt a lot better than them. And so I provoked them and I needle them and I challenged them and I annoyed them and I called them out on stuff and I felt great afterwards. I felt really great. I felt felt that, that great smug sense of, yeah. <laughs> I got my points across really well. I landed all my punches and I think I won that. And then um, the next morning as I was praying to Jesus, uh, as you do, um, I read through chapter 6, and I felt the Lord's love and grace and compassion and understanding, but not for me. I felt all of those things for the other person. I felt Jesus' grace for them, his compassion and understanding for them. And it's so frustrating when you want God to take your side of the argument. (laughs) And then you start to feel and see through the eyes of Jesus. And again, it was that moment that I realised that I had to embrace the cross, and I had to humble myself, and I had to ring back, and I had to. <laughs> I had to apologise and, and tell him the, the things that I really respected and loved about him, and it was it was it was hard, but man. Felt so much more free and so much more honest and so much more uh, like the God we want to serve. So, anyway, according to verse twenty-six, if we feel we're better than others, we provoke them or envy them, and so yeah, we did all that. And so, oh, envy is the other thing; it steals our joy. It's nasty. We look at others and we think, oh, they've got more money than us, a nicer house than us, a nicer kitchen than us, a nicer rifle than us. Um, we 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 find that stuff can just frustrate us and annoy us, and envy. It, it, it's a, it's a killer in terms of our contentment. Um, so, brothers and sisters, we're now into chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, sorry, I said all of this about pride because I want us to understand that that's a really good tool to use as we go through this whole next chapter. Um, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test his own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. And so, all of the freedom and all of the beautiful fruit of the, the life of the Spirit in Galatians 5, Paul is saying it is freedom to live a life of service. It's a freedom to live a life that you give away. Isn't that beautiful? And a clear part of that service is going to be dealing with others, and I'll unpack these scriptures now. When we deal with others in Christian community who struggle in sin, we aren't supposed to merely provoke them or to point out that they've done stuff wrong or merely to challenge them. We're supposed to restore them. Isn't that beautiful? And so especially, the, you know, Paul makes a distinction between those who live by the Spirit if that's who we identify as, then man, we're called to restore, not merely to point out faults. And so when a person is caught in a sin, it's like a bird that gets tangled in a fishing line. And the Bible is clear that the church of God, filled with the fruit of the Spirit, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, is supposed to restore them. I always read this part a bit strangely as well. I used to always read that if I was helping someone caught in a sin, for example, if someone was having a problem with sexual purity or an issue, uh, like lust or whatever, that it was important that as I talked to this person or whatever that I didn't get caught up into that uh, sin myself. Um, But most of the dudes I talked to, that's never been a real problem, if you know what I mean. It's not been uh, like I've been tempted as I've talked to the chaps, right? I hope you know what I'm saying. So it's, it, but Scott McKnight and others point this out. They point out that they're persuaded that, that Paul has in mind the temptation of pride, considering the rest of the verses that, that follow in that verse 20, uh, 526. So, because the next verse, then we can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So pride compares to others always looking to others. But freedom looks to Jesus. And so comparing ourselves to others is the slavery of religion. And it leads to, again, those two things in verse 526, annoyance or envy. And so um, this isn't contradiction where he's saying, take pride in yourselves alone. We look to ourselves, we look to Jesus, and we take satisfied reflection in the wondrous work that he does in our life. And so I think that's awesome. And I think that leads to contentment with who God's called us to be, with what we have and the great blessings in our life. And as I've journeyed in the last few years with guys in their, in their like 20s or 30s or 40s, that seems to be the major battle is contentment. And again, in an Instagram age, when we're shoved into a world, we're seeing thousands and thousands of images every day of what our life should look like. It can be hard to be content. But being like reflective on how beautiful your life is and what God's called you to is uh, exciting. In Romans 12.3, Paul makes this point as well. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God's distributed to you. We've all got different callings. Hey, eh? we've all got different measures of faith given to us. And so... Um, When we look at our lives and we look at the load we're supposed to carry, um, we can see that. So verse 2, again, looking to uh, bearing each other's burdens, but yet verse 5, carrying our own load. And so I want to spend a bit of time looking at that because that's a potential contradiction as well. Um, Are we called to bear each other's burdens or are we called to carry our own load? And the trick here is to be aware of what is a burden and what's a load. And the Greek basically translates to uh, that word for burden being um, burden and load being load. So it's actually, uh, that didn't help me out at all. But a burden weighs someone down, right? It's heavy, it's cumbersome, it's annoying. That'd be like, like a 30 kg weight for you, Sam. So a burden you can't expect to carry on your own. And if someone's trapped in sin or if someone's crushed by illness or if someone is in ruin financially, then that's a burden. And that's too heavy, right? And so that's where the church, as a church, we fulfill the life of Christ. But again, pride can get in the way of this happening because the burden can be too proud to get help and the church can be too proud to stoop down and help others. Now, a load, by definition, is supposed to be carried. Um, So, for instance, a parent's load is the welfare and care of their children. A worker's load is the duties that fulfill their jobs. A householder's load is the maintenance of their property. So a case in point, if we want to look at maybe how a, and again, I know men, I know the world of men, how men can sometimes do this dodgy is that men don't take responsibility often in society for their own load. And so the, the welfare of their wife and their children and, their, um, and the emotional support that they're supposed to provide there and the listening that they're supposed to provide there, if they're not doing any of that stuff and instead they're um, spending that time on their hobbies or their distractions or all of that stuff that we see all the time, then it, uh, it's pretty apparent that soon what is their load becomes a burden for someone else. And that's the the sort of crisis that I think that we've got to avoid, and so as we look at ourselves in the sort of sober judgment of Romans twelve verse three and as we look at ourselves uh, and not you know and take pride in ourselves alone without comparing ourselves to someone else, we need to be thinking, what is my load what is my load and so um like Sam also you're a um, sam's a real fan of truck driving um sometimes uh, when he has a quiet moment, he's got a, a game on his computer, a truck simulator, um, so he just sits down and gets a wee steering wheel out and drives long-haul trucks across Europe. <laughs> now, this is absolutely a true story. Um, <laughs> and trucks are designed to carry a load. They're actually safer with a load on than when they don't have a load on. Is that correct, Sam? <laughs> I'm preaching it two weeks. <laughs> well, that's fine. Uh, Anyway, so we need wisdom. We need wisdom to figure out what's a load, and we need wisdom also to admit when we have burdens that we need others to help us with. And again, this has been something that I've had to deal with in the last few weeks with my family. Um, So, uh, it's interesting, eh? Because religious people can often run around trying to carry other people's burdens without dealing with their own loads. We see that all the time. Um, and some of us get busy as men with very good things to do. But it's a great excuse to avoid stuff like sorting out our emotional baggage or admitting when we need others. Um, so a great picture of this is I, I used to go on U10 camps Um with my last school. And I loved these camps because the first day we'd wake the kids up at like 6.30 and they'd have to get all their stuff into a day pack and we'd hike them up a hill. And it was really, it was unsafe, you know? (laughs) Like actually it was, the little school we were at was pretty like old school and hadn't really, I mean we had some health and safety stuff. But we were, we hiked to the top of this ridge and um, pretty soon it became apparent that some people weren't able to cope with this um, so, in their day packs, they'd have, like, food, they'd have clothing, they'd have water, because it's really important when you go tramping to carry water. So, yep. Sam? Um, and so the fast guys, often the fit boys, would find it difficult waiting for the others to catch up, right? They'd want to be hooning off. And you can imagine it. They, they honestly, they would have clocked this entire tramp in maybe three hours. And often it took eight to ten for the entire group to get around the whole thing. And so what would happen... Always, is that after a while they get frustrated and then they begin to offer to carry the packs of the slower kids who might have been limping or might have had, had issues with fitness or asthma or whatever. And their strength was put to great use. And one by one, um, these slower members would, would give up their packs um, and, and, and be assisted, I suppose, when their load became a burden that they couldn't carry. But what happened to the group dynamic from that? was pretty beautiful. For the rest of the week, the camp was actually amazing. The culture in the group was amazing. There wasn't a split in the, in the people. Uh, and as some of those people who were slower walkers um, had developed other strengths, they were able to show and help some of those guys who were maybe fast walkers, but no good at some of the other team building things or no good at the food prep or no good at other stuff. So in many ways, Christian community can and should look like this. So verse 3 says this, If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves themselves to someone else. And so as Luke Buxton, I have to look and realize the beautiful call that God has for me and realize what I am and realize what I'm not. There's total freedom to be Luke Buxton, and that's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting for me, but anyone else trying to be Luke Buxton it's not exciting for, don't try and be Luke Buxton, it's weird. Um, so anyway, obviously, uh, we're called to, 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 to different burdens, and whether it be serving through, uh, sorry, whether it be through serving the sick, or leading worship, or providing for others, or lending your ear, or giving money, or whatever, um, do that. Okay. So first little challenge in this, what are you doing to bear other people's burdens? And for some of us as we answer this, um, you can be needled by this because you've got your own load to carry and it feels like you're doing your bit. They can do theirs. And so um, Eugene uh, Peterson's got this great quote, um, which um, I'm going to pop up there. When we need to keep ourselves... Rightly, uh, sorry, rigidly upright in order to, prov- to prove to ourselves in the world that we are upstanding we're not free and when our, but when our identity and salvation come from the life of Christ we are free to stoop to the level of the person crushed under too heavy a burden to lift that person up to be in the company of the fallen and to serve others by carrying their burdens is a great killer of pride It's a great thing to do. To stoop to others, to look through their eyes, to see the world through what they're going through is awesome. So second, we challenge in here, how are you trusting others with burdens of your own that you need help with? And again, does this scare you? And is this too vulnerable for you to ask for help? The Christian life of freedom does not mean a freedom from others. And so Eugene Peterson, again, If we're a person without needs, we soon become a person without companions. If I become free from my parents, free from my spouse, free from my children, free from my friends, free from God, I'm not free at all, but merely lonely and isolated. All right, so again, that's a strong cup of coffee. Um, If if, uh, that's you this morning, um, I'll just let you stew in that one. Right, verse 6. Uh, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. So I've got this one uh, all there by itself because it's um, convicting in and of itself. Um, Speaking of burdens and loads, loads, I want us to just pause and consider every week Sam's um, load of of preparing and teaching the Word of God this morning. This verse specifically is talking about uh, the role of pastors and instructors in teaching the Word of God, which probably in the Church of Galatia was being undermined. And discredited as being an important role. Um, there are very few uh, people who would actually want to do what Sam does, but but many of us, on the, you know maybe on the car trip home, would have <laughs> roast roast pasta for lunch as we uh, consider uh, the things he could do better. And so it's actually like I was thinking the other day of the different occupations and dreams I have for my children as they ease me into a retirement of great wealth. Um, <laughs> And like things like engineer and doctor and all of these things, I was like, these would be great. And I thought to myself, why do I not think of teacher of the word or pastor as being something? And one of those reasons is the pay is lousy. (laughs) You work so hard. You've got to be smart. You've got to have education. You've got to have a nuance and an understanding of people in front of you and of culture and of the issues that are going around to be able to present and do all of those things really well and as a reward, you get critique, you you get betrayal often, you get, uh, uh, and, you know, a whopping great salary, and so there's that that actually challenged me, I thought, wow, Um, and so uh, this is a pretty clear verse for us, when it says share all good things, it is talking about encouragement, but it's also talking about finances, and so um, maybe that's no, I won't say that. Sam didn't get me to share this chapter this morning um, to try and do that. But let's just do remember that, guys. Um, anyway, do not be deceived. Sorry, Sam. I know that will be awkward <laughs> as for you. But um, next chunk of Scripture. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So as we start to build up, we're starting to build up a picture in this of of God's life of freedom from chapter 5 being poured out as a blessing for other believers and the community and the world at large. Isn't that exciting? Okay. So the good things we do then are not to earn us favor with God. Remember, that's religion. And rather they come from a place of freedom and blessing. We aren't slaves to religion. We're not slaves to rebellion. We're not sowing to please our flesh. Right? We, uh, the, and the flesh is the stubbornly proud, independent part of ourselves. So if you sow to your flesh by eating all the delicious food that you can shove in your face... It says that the flesh reaps destruction. There's there's no kind of way around understanding this. Your body one day will die, right? Before that happens, it'll get older and older and older. And so instead, there's a life-giving, wonderful thing we can do, and that's sowing to the spirit. From the spirit, we reap eternal life. Um So again, it's the idea if we take the good things, make them God things, they become bad things. We can become slaves to the very things that we look to to make us happy. Um, Only God can bring us freedom from our selfishness through the cross. Um, Third quote from Eugene Peterson. Again, he's having a blinder. It's a really, that's a good one. Um, A person wrapped up in themselves is a small package. I really like this. Okay. Um, So the alternative... It's not religion, it's not rebellion, but again, it's this freedom of life in Christ. And in that freedom, we've got the ability to sow and reap. And so when we sow, we can sow into practical works, we can sow into other things, we can sow to see the Word of God preached powerfully in our church, we can sow uh, in other ways. We can sow and we can wait. And the waiting is the tough bit, is it not? Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. I want us to hold on to that thought. That's going to be important later in the chapter. So Churchill say this, don't get weary. Don't get weary. I planted potatoes once. You put them in the ground and then you come back the next day and there's still a pile of dirt. So I want you to feel that. Feel my disappointment as the potato planter, as I looked at that dirt, then the next day, more dirt. Some of you know what that feels like, hey? More importantly, imagine what it was like being the potatoes. (laughs) And I have a real sense that some of you feel like those potatoes. And as silly as it is, I'm convinced that that's true. For some of you, you feel like it's been pretty quiet and pretty dark and pretty grimy and pretty sad for a while. Don't give up. You know, I feel that in my my spirit. I really feel it. Don't give up. You spuds, all right? It's going to be okay. There will be a harvest of God's juicy, fruity, abundant and wonderful goodness. Don't give up. All right. Now I want to close. And I want to close by looking at the end of the book where Paul concludes his entire chapter. Oh, sorry, his entire book. And so uh, before that, there's this little cool hinge verse, which I love. I love it. Um, can we go to the next slide? You know when people sign a birthday card from a group of people? Is there anything there? Oh, you can see it. Oh, yeah, it's sorry, it's in bright yellow, so it's hard to see. I had this friend who used to write this verse, and so you'd have your little place to sign, like, on something, and, you know, youth group cards would be like, Jeremiah 29.11, right, or something. He would always write massive, bigger than everyone else, Galatians 6.11, and it was hilarious, okay, because let's let's just click the next slide, because Galatians 6.11 is this, see (laughs) what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand? (laughs) All right. Hey, so these last verses are epic. And, and here's the thing they say this Paul picks up the pen himself. And, and it's agreed by a lot of scholars that this is him, gnarly Paul, smashed and broken from a life of service to Jesus and to the saints. Pretty rubbish eyesight picking up the pen and pressing it pretty hard and writing in pretty short two sentences as he concludes this entire book. Paul gets excited at this point and it felt so precious as I was reading this because I feel like these are his own words as he says this. Let's like read them. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are calling you to be circumcised. They only want to do this to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who have circumcised keep the whole law, yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation, peace and mercy to all. Sorry, it's the next bit that I'm preparing for (laughs) mentally. Peace and mercy to you all who follow this rule. It's the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. He bears on his body the marks of Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. There's these guys who are doing all their best to, out of pride get their mates circumcised so that they can impress other people. uh, Scott McKnight makes this point that uh, there's four problems with these Judaizers through these verses. Their method is forced. They want to force people to be circumcised. Their motive is fear. They're doing this to avoid being persecuted. Their consistency is flawed. They aren't keeping all of the law Their goal is to flaunt, like all religion, the basis is pride. They all want to boast in their success. And so we've got three options. We've got religion where we work our way to God. We've got our rebellion where we flee from God. Or option three is Paul's option. This is the place where your proud, rebellious and religious self dies. And this is the way of the cross. This is the way of the cross. And it's so beautiful that he's boasting in the cross. And it's so beautiful that in verse 17 he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. It's almost like he looks at these guys who were saying, showing off this mark of circumcision, sorry for the mental image, showing off this mark of circumcision and boasting in that. And he's saying that's nothing. That's nothing. Check out these scars. Check out what a life of service to Jesus looks like. what a hero what a beautiful hero and so like when you were free like jesus you love the poor and you love the downtrodden and the not cool and the tax collector and the sinner and the prostitute and the drunk and because of that they crucify you and you bear in your hands the marks of jesus And when you're so free like Paul, you love God so much and you recognize the calling of your God so much that you're willing to take all that freedom and invest it again into others and invest it again and sow the seed of your life again and again and again. Going from town to town being rebuked and harangued and hassled and still you don't quit. And you get stoned nearly to death like in Acts 14 and you get shipwrecked bitten by a snake and you get thrown in prison and whipped and the days and the months pass and the wounds from these heal and you've got gnarly old bones, bad eyesight and you're a frail old man but you fondly look at the marks and you see nothing but an affinity with Jesus to live as Christ. Isn't that beautiful? And so that's, to me, this picture, I've got this enduring picture is him pulling himself up, grabbing the scribe off his—sorry, grabbing the quill off the scribe—and saying, "May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus?" That's freedom. And so he says, to "Leave me alone with your concerns about religion and rebellion. The new life is in Jesus. Let's settle it there." And so I've never served Jesus to the point of scars. Right? It would be uncommon that. That we would in New Zealand but what I can look through my life is look at moments of hurt and pain and what you can look is moments of disappointment and we either leave those as wounds or we recognise that the freedom we have in Christ keeps going, keeps going back to the cross and keeps saying "These these are wounds and moments that I'm going to look at and see as the marks of Jesus our life Sewn back like a potato in the dark, And I think of Paul, I do writing those words. millennia later, he's gone, but that fruit's still coming up. Isn't that beautiful? That fruit's still coming up because a small church in the Hawks Bay is reading his words. And looking at our lives and recognising that we can sow our lives into serving Jesus. But there's a part of us, church, and I want to talk to you about this this morning, a part of us that resists, a part of us that will go to religion and rebellion. And this morning I want to invite us to do what Paul did and to bring that to the cross.